Welcome to Apostolic Life in the 21st Century, a podcast dedicated to helping modern-day believers live out the teachings of the first century church. This podcast is part of the teaching ministry of Dr. David K. Bernard. Dr. Bernard has dedicated his life to studying the Bible and helping believers apply its message to their daily lives. In Apostolic Life in the 21st Century, Dr. Bernard answers your questions about what the Bible teaches and how those teachings apply to everyday life. Thank you for joining us for this broadcast. One of the most frequently asked questions that you receive on your social media platforms is, what does the Bible say about facial hair on men? Now, anybody who's been around the Oneness Pentecostal movement for any length of time knows that this is somewhat of a controversial topic in some circles. I'd like you to start by explaining the backstory, because there's probably some people that are listening to this and they're saying, why is facial hair controversial? So I'd like you to just share your experience and why this has been such a hotly debated topic and then follow that up, if you would, by explaining what does the Bible actually say about the subject? This question relates to personal choices um, for our lives and for our appearance. It's interesting because uh, apostolic people, one is Pentecostal people, are one of the few groups today that say our dress and our appearance is important to God. It is an aspect of holiness. It's a small part compared to the big picture. Our life of morality and the fruit of the Spirit is obviously the core of holiness, but what we wear and how we dress, how we present ourselves to the public is of concern and interest to God. He does have some guidelines for that, and that's another topic. But since we're one of the few groups that still believe that, um, then, of course, these questions do become important for us. So whenever we talk about questions of practical holiness or outward appearance, uh, I, I say there are three teachers. The first of all is the Bible. Whatever the Bible teaches is authoritative. If the Bible says, do this or don't do this, that's end of subject. Sometimes the Bible gives um, direct commands or it has principles that we apply. Uh, sometimes the Bible speaks consistently approvingly of something or consistently disapproving. And even though there may not be an explicit command, if it's solely approving or solely disapproving, that gives us a pretty strong indication. But then there are some cases where the Bible gives some examples that might be approving or some that might be disapproving, depending on the context. Or, uh, you know, the Bible might give us two different examples of opposite conduct and both of it's with approval. So that indicates it's a matter of personal choice. It's not a matter of scriptural precedent. It's not a matter of command. But in addition to the Bible, we have our pastor and other godly teachers. Now they don't have authority to add to or take away from God's word, but they help us apply God's word in our context. And then third, we have our own conscience. Again, we don't have the authority to add to or take away from God's word. And God doesn't want us to uh, oppose spiritual authority or our pastor. But uh, in the context where we have our own choice, God leaves a lot of things to us. Romans chapter 14 uh, explains Christian liberty, that when the Bible is neutral about something or when the Bible doesn't speak about something or the Bible gives us a choice, then we have Christian liberty. So one Christian can do one thing, one Christian do another uh, so one might be a vegetarian, one might eat meat, both are acceptable to God. One should not condemn the other, one should not ridicule the other. So that's the basis of 
Christian liberty. So I'm giving you a foundation. When we answer a question like this, we first look, what does the Bible say? Second, what what does our pastor advise? And then third, what does our own conscience say? So if any of those three give us direction, then I think we should follow it. So if you feel personally convicted of something, even though I don't, then you should follow your conviction, but you shouldn't condemn me when I don't have that conviction. Because we're not talking about scripture here, we're talking about personal conviction. Or you're attending a church, your pastor has asked for the people of the church to follow this guideline, or maybe it's for leadership or for those of the platform representing the whole church. So he might not think something is a sin or against God's word, but he might think that for the sake of the witness in the community or the sake of leadership or circumstances, he's asking everybody to follow, then you should follow it. And then, of course, the Bible, whatever the Bible teaches, that should go for every one of us. Um, So to answer the question, I'm going to say, follow your conscience, follow your pastor, follow the Bible. So anything else I say, I'm not trying to contradict any of that that I've just said. Okay. I just want to make that as a foundation. Now, then the question becomes, well, what does the Bible say? It's interesting. Sometimes the Bible speaks and presents uh, men's facial hair, men growing a beard in a favorable way. So Psalm 133, uh, Aaron, the high priest had a beard. Uh, Isaiah is a prophecy of the Messiah. Uh, It appears that Jesus had a beard, at least long enough that it, the hairs could be plucked out when when he was arrested and crucified. At the same time, in Genesis, the Bible uh, speaks of Joseph shaving before he went before Pharaoh, uh, because apparently that was appropriate in that custom. So the Bible speaks of of shaving favorably. So here you have an example where the Bible speaks of both men growing facial hair and shaving facial hair approvingly or positively. Uh, I've had some people say, well, you know, uh, it's a God-given distinction between male and female. Therefore, a man must wear facial hair. I don't see that as required. And as I just gave you an example from the Bible, my counter argument would be whether you shave or not, the beard does is visibly different. So a man's shaved face is still very different from a woman's shaved face because of the beard. So whether you shave it or not, it is an important distinction between male and female. And certainly in our day, when you have this distinction of being under attack, I do appreciate the idea that people want, that a man would want to be definitely masculine. Uh, That's a good thought and a good idea. Uh, Now, what about the UPCI? It's interesting. The UPCI has never taken an official stand in any of our documents. And of course, around the world, uh, we've had many different practices all throughout. I, I remember I grew up in Korea In that culture, traditionally, uh, at least the time I was there, the 60s and 70s, men would invariably shave. But then when they reached a retirement age, then the more traditional men would grow a beard. Uh, And so all of our preachers were shaved except for one elderly gentleman who uh, he lived through the Japanese occupation. He was persecuted for being a Christian by the Japanese. He came into the apostolic faith. He was one of our pastors. Well, when he reached uh, in his 60s, he grew a beard. Nobody even thought anything of it because that was the culture. Now, more specifically to your point, um, in Amer- so, so I'm, what I'm getting at is it's not really a biblical issue. It's a cultural issue. Is What does it signify in your culture? So when you go back to the 1800s, facial hair was very common in America. 
Uh, early 1900s, facial hair was very common. Even among the apostolic pioneers, the pioneers of the UPCI, but in the early part of the 20th century. Again, facial hair was somewhat common, or uh, you know, we have many examples. But what really happened, most people started shaving, uh, especially in, we're talking about white, middle-class America. Now, among ethnic minorities, there was not always the same connotation. But uh, among what I would call the middle-class white Americans, which were the vast majority, say, by the 1940s, 1950s, it was typical for a man to shave. Well, the hippie movement arose to rebel against traditional culture in the 60s and 70s. So as part of that, the hippies would grow facial hair, and often the men would grow very long hair, which does contradict God's word. And they were very explicit. We're rejecting our culture, down with the establishment. Uh, so they made it very clear that we're doing this because we're in rebellion. And they associated it with the use of drugs, uh, sexual promiscuity, and, and so forth. So for many, in, again, in white middle-class America, now talking about the 1960s, 1970s, if you saw a person, particularly a young person, young man with facial hair, you pretty much would assume they're in rebellion, they deny traditional values, they deny Christian teaching, they're probably using illegal drugs, they're probably sexually promiscuous, that is their badge of their identity. So uh, our churches at that time were successful in winning many of these people to the Lord. So when they came to the Lord, many of them as a matter of personal conviction, nobody even had to tell them, they would shave. Why? Because that was a badge of their old life. And now that they're in a new life, they wanted to change their identification, like changing your uniform. And if they didn't immediately, generally the pastor would teach them, now you're part of a new life. You got to get rid of your old life. And so it became part of holiness, not that the facial hair itself was a sin, but be the cultural connotation. So I mentioned the three teachers, the Bible, uh, the pastor, and, and other mentors, leaders, and the conscience. And so two of those three would definitely say, you need to make a change. So that's our culture. So while the UPCI has never had an official position, and the reason why we didn't is because if you look at across the world, that's not a uniform phenomenon. And if you look at our own history, UPCI or oneness history, as well as American or Western culture, it hasn't been uniform, but it's been specific. So therefore, the UPCI never felt the need to make any official statement. However, I would say, going back to the 60s, 70s, 80s, in, in the aftermath of that, the vast majority of our churches would have, either by personal conscience or pastoral guidance, would they would not have wanted facial hair because they wouldn't want to be misrepresented. Now, of course, we're, we're now living in the, in the 20th century. We're far removed from the hippies. And so when I talk to young people, they don't even know what I'm talking about. I faced this issue when I started the church in Austin, Texas, a very liberal city in 1992. And I immediately saw in that culture at that time, that place, if a man had facial hair, it made no significant, it, it communicated nothing specific. He might be homeless. He might be a bank president. You wouldn't know. And even his casual dress wouldn't tell you. So uh, that was the culture that I was starting a new church in. Obviously, I was trying to establish new people and I faced issues of sexual promiscuity, 
uh, drug addiction, and all the sins that are common in our society. And of course, the teachings of holiness, modesty of dress, avoiding ornamentation, jewelry, uh, men cutting their hair short, ladies letting their hair grow long. So I had to teach all those things. Well, what's my authority? The word of God. Well, one of my early converts had a mustache. Uh, really, in my culture, I couldn't say it had any significance. His wife had never even seen him without a mustache. Um, I couldn't really say it was a biblical issue. So I'm trying to get these people to change their dress and change their lifestyle by appealing to the Bible. So I didn't have anything to appeal to, so I just ignored it. It, I, it never brought it up. Uh, another example, I had a, a man that had been converted as a hippie in the 60s in New York, came in one of our churches, and so he immediately shaved. Well, he later backslid, divorced, remarried. He ended up many years later now in our church in Austin, prayed through. His new wife is there. He has a full beard. So he asked me what I thought. So I kind of gave him a brief synopsis, just like I gave you. He says, well, my wife, my new wife has no clue of the background she absolutely doesn't want me to shave. You know, I'm trying to explain to her, but she doesn't understand. So I gave him that little synopsis. So he came back the next service, completely shaved. I was a little surprised. And I said, well, why did, why did you do that? He said, well, you know, you talked about personal conviction. He said, when I first came in the church, this was my conviction. I was trying to make a change in my whole life. He said, now that I'm coming back into church, being renewed, I just feel like I should go back and make my first consecration. So that was his choice. I had another man, African-American, who was actually a credential minister. And uh, his, his facial hair was very curly and curled in. And he had some problems with infection in the pores. So once when he was shaving, he cut himself. And that led to an infection, led to a blood disease. And he was very sick and, and almost died. Well, he recovered. And his doctor advised him, don't shave because you're high risk of cutting yourself. And then once you cut yourself, you're at high risk of another infection. This time it could be fatal. So he came to me and he says, Brother Bernard, I want to comply with everything. Uh, but I feel like if I could just grow a just slight beard enough that it's off of my face and I'll keep it trimmed and shaved because this is what my doctor has told me to do. He says, what do you think? I said, well, I went through the same kind of thing. Uh, it's, it's just really a personal conviction. Uh, and you have a reason. It's not related to rebellion or immorality. But I said, you are a credential minister. So as far as our church is concerned, it will not make any signal. But if you're asked to preach in another church, ask that pastor, what, tell that, you're, that pastor the situation and ask for their advice. And if they think that would be misunderstood to their congregation, that you're in rebellion or you're abandoning holiness or anything like that, then you just have a choice. Either you shave in order to minister there or you decline to minister there because we have to respect that pastor. And there I was following Romans 14, which if something would be an offense, and in, in, the, new, in the King James, offense is not something that makes you mad. Um, it's, it's a stumbling block. So if anyone would cause a fellow believer to stumble. So Paul says, and he teaches this in 1 Corinthians 8 and 10, and then Romans 14 and 15, he says, you know, if, if uh, my eating a meat would, would cause you to stumble. You look at me eating meat saying, what a compromiser, what a sinner. He's backsliding, he's denying Jesus. Well, he says, I won't eat meat while the world stands. I'll never eat meat again if, if it would actually cause you to stumble. So if what we would do might cause another church uh, member or believer to lose their faith in God, well, it's not worth it. So 
for th those reasons, probably I would say a majority, certainly a majority uh, of our believers today would, would shave. But it's not based on scripture. It's based on what is the cultural connotation in your area? What does it mean? What does it signify? We don't want to signify any compromise, denial of holiness, denial of God's will, uh, worldliness, but we do want to signify we're following the Lord Jesus Christ. So we look again, the Bible gives us Christian liberty, but then the pastor knows the local church and the local situation. He tries to give guidance for that situation. And then the individual knows his own heart and his own motives and his own consecrations. And he needs to be faithful to what God has called him to do. Thank you for listening to this episode of Apostolic Life in the 21st Century. If you enjoy this podcast, please take a moment to give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. We also appreciate it when you share Apostolic Life in the 21st Century with a friend or family member. Finally, join us again next time as we look at how the Bible applies to everyday life.